So, uh, welcome to what is the uh, third in our series of talks on the Divine Liturgy. The first talk was dedicated to the preparatory rite, the proskomedia, service preparation of the bread and wine for the Holy Eucharist. Uh, in the second one, we began with the liturgy proper, the opening blessing of the priest, blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and the first litany, the great litany, the litany of peace. And welcome, Father. Please take a seat. Oh. Uh, rather to my surprise, we actually spent the whole of the that second talk on the great litany itself. And there seemed to be a lot to uh, talk about. I think we'll have to try and go a little bit more quickly, otherwise it will be the end, uh, whole year before we get to the end uh, of the liturgy. Uh, today, uh, apart from uh, just following the natural sequence of the liturgy, I want to focus um, a little bit on the, uh, the use of the scripture in the uh, in the liturgy. This is a very uh, fundamental element, particularly the first part of good evening, particularly in the first part of the uh, liturgy, the so-called liturgy of the faithful. The, uh, of course, uh, the use of scripture in uh, worship is fundamental from uh, predating uh, the Christian era in the time of the Old Testament uh, the books of the law and the prophets were read constantly and were recorded, and to this day in the, uh, in the Jewish community, are regarded with great uh, reverence. They are venerated, they are kept uh, in the synagogue, in a kind of tabernacle, uh, rather as we keep the holy gifts on the altar. We read uh, in the Gospel of Luke, I think in the fifth chapter, how Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and uh, he was asked to read the readings for the day. He read from the, said there was given to him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He opened it, he found the place, and he read the words, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he has appointed me to preach uh, good news to the poor and so on. Uh, and then he pronounced a, a sermon. Likewise, in the uh, liturgy of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, the psalms particularly played an important role uh, in the worship. They were sung uh, by, chanted by uh, choirs. And so this uh, tradition of the use of the scripture in public worship, in public prayer, passed very naturally, directly into the church at the very beginning. I already once or twice uh, read or quoted to you from the writings of a man called uh, Saint Justin, the martyr or the philosopher, who was writing in the first part of the uh, second century uh, an, an apology, that is a, uh, an explanation of the, by the then still new Christian faith. And at the end he writes uh, about how they worshipped. 
he says, On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Uh, what do you think they mean by, he means by the memoirs of the apostles? I, I think he means, for, yes, uh, but first and foremost, the, uh, the Gospels. Yeah. Uh, the Gospels together with the, uh, the letters of the apostles. Uh, and the writings of the prophets. That's the Old Testament and what uh, came to be called the New Testament. And they're not only read, but they are discussed. So at least the, uh, the bishop or the priest who is conducting the service uh, the pres- he instructs, teaches, and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. So, uh, how does that uh, work today? Well, uh, in the present usage of the Orthodox Church, uh, the scriptures which are most often read or quoted are the Psalms, the Epistles, and the Gospels. Uh, we have, perhaps unfortunately, uh, not very much from the rest of the Old Testament apart from the Psalms, except on some specific occasions. Uh, the uh, vigil services for important feasts, there are the Barimi, uh, usually three, uh, readings from the, prophes- from the prophets re- that relate to the feast. For example, the Feast of the Mother of God, or the reading from Wisdom, uh, Book of Wisdom, but Wisdom has built a and house, quote the reading from the prophet Ezekiel about the gate of the north gate of the temple that was closed because only the Messiah would enter therein, which refers to the mother of God, uh, and from Genesis the vision of the prophet Jacob about the ladder reaching from earth to heaven. Uh, one ex. Uh, Exception to that is during the time of the Great Fast uh, at Vespers, there are readings from uh, the book of Genesis and the book of Proverbs every day. But mainly from the Old Testament is the Psalms, and from the New Testament, of course, the Gospels and Epistles. Uh, The Psalms play uh, an important uh, role in the daily cycle of services uh, in monasteries which observe the full Typicon, the whole Psalter is read uh, through entirely every week, divided into sections of the different uh, services, Vespers, Matins, and so on. But since we're uh, speaking about mainly about the Divine uh, Liturgy, uh, it's very interesting to, and very instructive to take, just take the text of the Liturgy, open it, read it carefully, and uh, see how many... Uh, references, uh, quotations, or allusions to the scriptures you can find. I did this years ago with this copy, and it's full of little scribbled notes of scripture references. Uh-huh. And just to show you uh, how that works, I just will take, because we haven't time to go through everything, I chose the uh, prayer uh, of the second Antiphon. This is one of the prayers, the so-called secret prayers, which are read quietly uh, by the priest 
while the deacon is doing the uh, litany. Uh, so it goes like this. O Lord our God, save thy people and bless thine inheritance. Preserve the fullness of thy church. Sanctify those who love the beauty of thy house. Glorify them in return by thy divine power and forsake us not who put our hope in thee. And then he says the exclamation, which is what you actually hear. For thine is the majesty, and thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever, and unto the ages of ages. But those exclamations of the priest, which you hear, are just the concluding sentence of a longer prayer. Now, what about this? Uh, O Lord our God, save thy people, and bless thine inheritance. This is... A direct quotation from Psalm 28. Also, yes, well done. Well, I found the place when I was talking about uh, You can look it up for yourself. Uh, preserve the fullness of thy church. This is uh, a slight allusion. It's not exactly a quotation. You see, it's an, uh, but it has an echo of St. Paul's uh, epistle to the Ephesians, where he says, uh, I'm sorry? Preserve the fullness of thy, uh, preserve the fullness of thy church, the fullness of thy church. In the letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, uh, Paul says, he put, he, that is the Father, put all things under his, that is Christ's feet, gave him to be head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So uh, when we pray that the Lord would preserve the fullness of the church, it means that he would uh, keep us all in that uh, unity in the body of Christ, who is the, uh, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We cannot, uh, and it is quite wrong, uh, to radically uh, to separate Christ and the church. Say that Christ is here and the church is uh, there, because the church is the very body of Christ, the bride of Christ. So it's, uh, that's an exercise that uh, if you have the time, the inclination, you can do. But it, it presumes, of course, that you know the scriptures uh, pretty well. And indeed, uh, our fathers, who, holy fathers who composed the liturgy, yeah. knew, uh, knew them well, knew them in many cases by, by heart, and can quote, could quote from them without having to... Uh, look up a concordance or Google a phrase, which is what <laughs> we have to do. Uh, the whole uh, uh, text of the is permeated with the uh, sacred scriptures. So, as I've said before, never let anyone tell you that orthodoxy is not a... Or if anyone asks you, say, is 
so you belong to this Orthodox Church. Is this a biblical church, or is this a Bible-believing church? The answer is unequivocally yes. <laughs> but that, that's not you say it quietly. You kind of say it out loud, and we hear something like Dostoyevsky. Uh, yes, it, it, the extent to which you hear these secret prayers will depend on a number of factors. Uh, how uh, the level of the voice of the priest, the size of the church, uh, if the choir is singing uh, loudly, how near you are to the altar, uh, and so on. So everybody can hear every, every single word. Yes. So it's sometimes even louder than the choir sings. So if you hear every single prayer, which is, you know, kind of, even the secret during, during the uh, night mm -hmm. prayer. Yeah, but I would like that, you know. <laughs> so every single thing like, is very, very clear. In every but it's very yes. slow, you know, people say very slow. It literally lasts about three hours. Yeah, two, three hours. And this, this is actually quite a uh, debatable point uh, today. Uh, there are uh, those uh, who, as we say, want to make every, everything heard by everyone. But on the other hand, the pretty much universal tradition of the Church is that certain prayers are said quietly, um, in Greek, mystikos, like mystical. And, well, this is a, it's a little bit of a digression, but since I was <laughs> reading an article about this the other day, uh, why is that? I don't know, why is that? Uh, Perhaps it's connected to the fact that, uh, at least in the uh, Eastern uh, tradition, things which are sacred, holy, are covered. Yes. So uh, the sanctuary itself is covered by the uh, icon screen. The holy gifts, when we carry them in the procession, are covered, veiled. Uh, it seems to tap into a, uh, a deep feeling that that which is uh, sacred should not be publicly displayed. Yeah. And perhaps, you know, there are, it's an interesting question. And there are things that uh, we do in private that are not for general uh, consumption, or shouldn't be, uh, because they are sacred in a way. Uh, it's a difference of uh, temperament. The West took a slightly different turn. For example, uh, in the Roman Mass, the, uh, the priest uh, elevates the consecrated uh, host so that all can see yeah, and adore uh, Christ in the, in the Eucharist. Although even there, uh, again, the, until modern times, the actual Eucharistic prayer was said silently or in a very low voice by the priest. But, as we say, in the modern times there is a tendency towards uh, making things more audible, so that the people can more uh, consciously, perhaps, but participate uh, in the prayer. Uh, personally, I, I like an, uh, a sort of intermediate way. I prefer to say the prayers uh, in a a medium to low voice and have the choir sing not too loud so that you can hear that you know, the priest is praying and perhaps catch the main outlines uh, of the prayer to me to uh, to connect the microphone and make it you know very loud 
somehow not quite uh, right, but it's, we shall see what, what happens. I noticed the practice of the patriarch, you know, because he has always got his microphone on like this, uh, and he does leave it turned on when he's reading the Eucharistic prayer, but quietly, and the choir is still singing, so you have both together yeah. rather than either or. Uh, for uh, for for the for the big services, yeah. You know, when the... mm -hmm. Well, it is it is the prayer of the uh, the priest, yes. Um, but it, the priest is praying for for the people, so it's important to be aware that that's if you can't hear. Uh, there was to be aware that yeah, at that moment the priest is praying for all of you. And that's why it's good to study the text of the liturgy at home so that you have an, an idea of what is being said uh, at a given point. But you know, point. Times, probably there was no icons, the Catholics don't have it. Mm -hmm. Probably it was slightly than today, I guess. Uh, y yes, um, with an, in, the Eucharist being celebrated in a more... Uh, intimate setting, but it seemed we don't know, you know, we don't have a much idea of how it was actually done. We have only these very sketchy dis descriptions, uh, but it, uh, even if it was originally uh, said so that everybody present would hear everything, very early, quite early on in history this practice uh, developed. Much in the way we see the uh, the development of the iconostas, or at least a curtain closing uh, the altar. Anyway, let's uh, perhaps at this point I will show you the uh, video, so you have a little rest from my voice, and we'll see what this looks like in practice. Okay. С литургией оглашен. Такое название эта часть службы получила от содержания в ее составе молитвословий, песнопений, священнодействий и поучений, имеющих вероучительный и огласительный характер. В Древней Церкви во время совершения этой части литургии могли присутствовать вместе с верными и the commentator is just explaining the general uh, significance of the first part of the liturgy. This is after the proscomedian, just before the beginning of the liturgy. Proper, the deacon uh, senses the holy table and says, uh, in the tomb with the body, in hell with the soul, in paradise with the thief, on the throne with the Father and the Spirit, was thou, O boundless Christ, filling all things. And then he goes and senses the whole church, uh, and reading the 50th Psalm, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy great mercy. Mm -hmm. 
just mentions that uh, the while well, the proskomedia is being celebrated the uh, in the church the, the hours are being read usually the third hour and the sixth hour we haven't talked about that but, uh, the priest reads the prayer O heavenly king the comforter the one that we begin our talks with glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Notice how the Holy Gospel is always kept on the altar table. The Word of God is enshrined there together with the Holy Gifts. Deacon begins with Master, give the blessing. And the priest gives the opening blessing. Blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The deacon, the function of the deacon, and we're very happy to <laughs> deacon uh, with us today, is to call the people to prayer, to lead the prayer uh, of the people. And the function of the choir is to express the prayer of the people. It's a dialogue. Marina has just made the very interesting point that in the, in the service book in the Slavonic, the choir is called Lik, which is the old Russian word for the face. For the face. Yeah, face. So, face. Yeah. Face uh, people. Yeah. While the deacon is saying the litany, the priest is reading this secret prayer. We discussed the text of the uh, previous meeting. Oh, God save thy uh, 
This is, uh, let me just pause. So after the uh, first litany, the choir sing the uh, antiphons, the first antiphon. Uh, antiphon is a, a hymn which is in principle sung by two choirs, alternating. And in many, some churches where there are enough singers, that's, that is done. Uh, in our practice, usually not. Uh, the text, again, uh, is very directly taken from the Holy Scriptures. The first antiphon usually is the Psalm 102. Bless the Lord, O my soul, blessed art thou, O Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, long-suffering and of great goodness. Bless the Lord, O my soul, blessed art thou, O Lord. Possibly in uh, ancient times, the whole psalm was read or chanted or sung. It's much longer than that, but mostly in the contemporary practice, we just the first four or five verses, but they give you the general flavor. Yeah? It's bless the Lord. It's a repeated read. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Just as we uh, began with the explanation, uh, the exclamation of the phrase, blessed is the kingdom. Yeah. So uh, again, this repeated uh, calling uh, on ourselves really, to, to bless God. In Russian, blagoslavitusha maya gospod. What does it mean to bless God, to bless the Lord? After all, we usually think uh, that we receive the blessing. You know, the, the priest blesses us. So how do we Bless God. Well, uh, again, language gives you the clue in the uh, Russian. Blagoslavi. Blag, good. Uh, Slova, the word. So to say a good word, we could literally translate it. To say a good word about God. To uh, proclaim that God is the supreme value supremely important, supremely uh, good and holy. And indeed, the uh, text of this psalm focuses <coughs> on the, the goodness of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God, for which we should uh, be giving uh, thanks. And in this way, 
the, the words of the Holy Scripture by being uh, liturgically chanted uh, with a beautiful melody uh, are kind of actualized, made uh, real, made alive uh, for us in, in practice, so sort of in, incarnate in us. <clears throat> See the choir. Just five people. Here the deacon is reciting the, it's called the small litany, very short one. Again and again in peace, let us pray to the Lord and so on. And again the priest reads the secret prayer, the one that I just discussed with you. Come to the second antiphon, which I'll just turn that down. Again, this is taken from the Psalms, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have been. Put not your trust in princes, in sons of men, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to his earth, and that very day his plans perish. The Lord will reign forever, thy God, O Zion, to all generations. Continues the theme of praise and uh, contrasts uh, human help with divine help. Put not your trust in princes and sons of men in whom there is no salvation. 
but the Lord will reign forever, thy God, O Zion, to all generations. Now, after the second antiphon, there's a slight change. There is a hymn is sung, which is not uh, uh, from taken from the scriptures, but was uh, composed according to tradition by the emperor Justinian. And it uh, has a very strong theological content. Uh, only begotten Son and immortal Word of God, who for our salvation didst will to be incarnate of the Holy Theotokos, Mother of God, and ever Virgin Mary, who without change didst become man and was crucified, who art one of the Holy Trinity, glorified with the Father and the Holy Spirit, O Christ our God, trampling down death by death, save us. And this comes, what, from the 5th century, I think? But it's the era of the great councils of the Church, when the theology of the Church was uh, articulated, systematized, uh, in particular concerning the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. After that, there is another small litany with its corresponding prayer. Uh, I will uh, read you that because it's a very a, a beautiful prayer. The priest prays, O thou who hast given us grace with one accord to make our common supplications unto thee, and didst promise that when two or three are gathered together in thy name, thou wouldest grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, the petitions of thy servants as may be expedient for them granting us in this world the knowledge of thy truth, and in the world to come, life everlasting. And then the third antiphon uh, is usually taken from uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, blessed is the other, from the Gospel. Yeah? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and, and so on. Yes. Which is, uh, comes from the uh, readings. And why this particular one has been? Because it's, some people say this nine, uh, it's new nine rules which uh, Jesus Christ gave to people, in addition to the tenth uh, Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So, this is the central part of the, when we're reading uh, these antiphons, or in other words, we're just reading these uh, uh, nine rules which uh, Chris gave to people. Mm -hmm. Is it uh, connected with the uh, New Testament? Would be a later one, or is it well? Of course, because we we we, live, we we don't live anymore in the time of the Old mm -hmm. Testament. We don't live uh, under the law, but uh, under grace. And the, uh, the 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 beatitudes or the, if you like, the commandments of mm -hmm. Christ have a different uh, character. But one is important. That is important for us, of course. We come now to what is called the uh, entrance, the small entrance, Mali Ford. You see the uh, 
deacon carries the gospel uh, out through the north door of the sanctuary. The raw doors, of course, are opened, and the priest blesses the entrance with the words, blessed is the entrance of the, the holy things or the holy ones, however you translate it, or is forever and to the ages of ages. Uh, this was actually originally the beginning of the liturgy, the entrance uh, with the gospel. Because obviously it's, it's just a, like a tradition, yes? We don't know how this liturgy was celebrated by the apostles. And, but so all this structure now, we have antiphons, we have this, we, and then we have small and Is it because of St. John Chrysostom? But then even in his liturgy, probably there is no this exact like, like who does what when the deacon comes out, when he has to bow, when he has to, you know, say like... Uh. Let me just pause here because it's an important question. And so, Marina's uh, question is about the development of the 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 the, uh, the ceremonial part of the liturgy. Uh, as I tried to emphasize, the basic ingredients haven't changed uh, from the beginning. Uh, the reading of the scriptures, the common prayers. Uh, the sermon, uh, and then the bringing of the bread and wine, the Eucharistic prayer, the Holy Communion. Uh, but uh, some things have been, uh, over time, uh, added on, extended. Um, rather, to use a musical analogy, you can just have a, a simple melodic phrase, uh, but then you can build on it, you can do variations, you can develop it. But it's still, the core is the same. Some of the, I think the, you have to ask the church liturgical historians, but the basic structure that we have today uh, hasn't changed very much, at least from the 8th century. Probably. Of course, it came to the Russians from, from the Greeks, yes. Uh, the ceremonial aspects, you know, or the, the bowing and, and so on, uh, Come uh, probably from the uh, the Byzantine period. Uh, the in general the um, the Eastern mentality loves this kind of ceremonial and ritual, and uh, very clearly some elements of that which were highly developed in the court of the Byzantine emperors found their way into the uh, churches. Liturgy. Uh, I sometimes, sometimes, said to people, you know, people who have an interest in history and uh, culture, uh, you want to see Byzantium, yeah, come to the Russian Church because it's that's where it still lives, particularly in the Russian Church. Uh, so the Church has taken on elements from the surrounding culture where it has found it useful to do so because. Uh, because they convey yes, this sense of reverence uh, before that which is holy. Why, for instance, uh, does the priest and the deacon put on all these complicated vestments? Why can't I just go and celebrate the liturgy in a, my jeans and t-shirt? 
Yeah, what difference does it make? Even in the time, yes, as Igor rightly says, even in the time of the Old Testament, uh, the the priests the priests uh, had special vestments. There were detailed instructions in the Book of Exodus how to make the priests. Vestment of salvation and as a bridegroom. Very yes, yes, yes. all the meaning, so everything is a candlestick and yes, and things. The point is, you see, we are not just rational beings. I hope we are rational beings, at least most of the time, not always. Uh, but there's a lot more to being a human being than just some kind of in- intelligence. Uh, there's a, uh, a, a spiritual element, a, a, an incarnate element, uh, an emotional element. And all these uh, aspects of our humanity are gathered together uh, into the divine uh, worship. The Apostle Paul says, says, bring your yourselves, your souls and bodies as a living sacrifice to God. This is, you know, we, and you, we feel that, you know, if we should uh, find ourselves, uh, in, for instance, in some uh, very fundamental Protestant uh, worship service. You know yeah, well, the structure they don't have all the mm-hmm. you know proper, but the structure the same. They have the you know mm-hmm. they also have the uh, the main prayer and they have the uh, you know our Father. So they just don't. So or, the structure the, remains the same. You, yes? You're probably so speaking about the Anglican, Anglican service, yes, but I'm talking about something which is you know mm-hmm. much uh, further out on the Protestant extreme, where, uh, to put it uh, crudely, we, they, we uh, uh, sing hymns, uh, read the, uh, the Bible, and, that's, uh, and there is a sermon, that, that's it, with no uh, ceremonial element at all. Okay. I will mention, but not dwell on it, that uh, in reflecting on the already existing structure and ceremonial of the liturgy, later theologians, this sort of from the 8th century onwards, began to uh, expound uh, a lot of uh, symbolical or allegorical meanings and attach them to uh, actions of the liturgy. For example, the small entrance, which we just... Uh, you will open some uh, traditional commentary on the, the scripture, and it will say that uh, this, the small entrance, symbolizes uh, Christ going out to preach. Yeah? Well, all right, but uh, see what's happened. The, 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 <laughs> there's a strange inversion here because uh, the entrance has been turned into an exit, going, a going out. It's quite probable that uh, in the early times, the, even the Gospel book itself, which was very precious, was not even kept in the church. It was kept, uh, the, probably the, perhaps the priest kept it at home, you know, <laughs> closely guarded. And it had, had to bring it to the church. Yeah. This may be part of the origin of that particular uh, ceremonial action. Uh, and you'll find m- many other similar uh, 
symbolical interpretations. Sometimes they're, they're actually embedded in the text of the liturgy itself, for example, in, or the, uh, the rite of the proscomedia, you know, where the priest takes the star and says, the star came and stood over the place where the young child lay, and, and, uh, and so on. Uh, and through this system of symbolical interpretation, the whole, as it were, life of Christ and the history of salvation was symbolically uh, enacted. But uh, the danger of that is that it actually takes our, one's attention away from the uh, essential meaning of the liturgy itself, and, uh, which is about our direct uh, communion with Christ, not just reflecting or in a prayerful way on the life of Christ. Well, that's uh, another thing for time. Yes. So, again, the, at this point there is a rather long and beautiful prayer which is uh, recited by the priest. Holy God, who dost rest in the saints, sought him by the seraphim with a thrice holy cry, and glorified by the cherubim and worshipped by every heavenly power, who out of nothing has brought all things into being, who has created man after thine own image and likeness, and has adorned him with thine every gift, who givest to him who asks wisdom and understanding, who does not despise the sinner, but instead has appointed repentance unto salvation, who has vouchsafed to us thy humble and unworthy servants, even in this hour to stand before the glory of thy holy altar and to offer the worship and praise which are due unto thee. Do thou thyself, O Master, accept even from the mouths of our sinners the thrice holy hymn, and visit us in thy goodness. Forgive us every transgression, both voluntary and involuntary. Sanctify our souls and bodies, and enable us to serve thee in holiness all the days of our life. Through the intercessions of the Holy Mother of God and of all the saints who from the beginning of the world have been well-pleasing unto thee. Here the uh, prayer connects our worship on earth with the worship of the angelic powers in heaven who we'll sing the thrice holy hymn. So we come now to the point where the choir sing the uh, thrice holy hymn, Trisitoi. Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal, have mercy on us. as it alludes to the uh, heavenly worship of the angelic powers in the vision of Isaiah, uh, where he sees them crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. The Gorn Miesto, or the high place, is the uh, far point of the sanctuary at the eastern end uh, in the apse. Uh, 
symbolically the throne of God himself. So we come now to the part of the liturgy where the scriptures uh, are read. And before that, the reader or the, or the deacon chants a verse from the Psalms, which is called the Prokimenon. That's a Greek word. Yes? It means that which goes in front of something. Good question, I don't remember now. This is just explaining in detail how the Prokeman is chanted, or again, sort of antiphonally between the reader and the choir. So just explaining what I just thought you, yeah, a short verse from the Psalms. Yeah. The text varies according to the day of the week or according to the feast which is being celebrated. Then the uh, epistle is read. Uh, it seems to me that the epistle, the apostle reading, is one of the more neglected parts of the divine liturgy, unfortunately, for uh, a number of reasons. First, as you can see here, <laughs> something else is going on. The deacon is doing the sensing at the same, which sort of distracts people's attention. Uh, it is uh, read in the Church Slavonic uh, as the Holish, but because the structure and the thought of the epistles, St. Paul's epistles anyway, is very dense and complex, it's really quite hard for most people to, and to be honest, how often do you actually hear the epistle and understand what was being said. It's a pity. Uh, then the choir sing uh, Alleluia. Alleluia, it's uh, a short a Hebrew uh, word, uh, expression of uh, praise to God. And it goes before the uh, reading of the gospel. At this point, the priest uh, reads uh, a prayer that we would uh, truly be able to uh, listen to hear the gospel message. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who loveth mankind, with the pure light of divine knowledge, open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of thy gospel teachings. Implant also in us the fear, that is, the respect for thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of life, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ, to God. To thee we ascribe glory, together with thy Father, who is everlasting, thy Lord, holy, good, and life-giving Spirit, now and forever, and to the ages of ages. The priest blesses the deacon. He says, 
May God, through the prayers of the holy apostle and evangelist, whoever's gospel is being read, enable thee to proclaim the glad tidings with great power and to the fulfillment of the gospel of his well-beloved Son, our Lord and God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So what else do we say? And to you too? And with thy spirit. Interesting observation. I can't say that I've ever thought. Uh, I will just uh, repeat it in case it's not being picked up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, why do the people of the choir uh, answer the priest's uh, giving of the peace uh, with and with uh, and with thy spirit? And also, when they're reading, let's say, when I read, for example, in Malibi, I you say the peace be and you say and with thy spirit, like for the reader, what do you reply? No, no, uh, just mirti, peace, peace be to, to thee. And then what you reply? Uh, well, and the the the, uh, the same. Yeah. Is that like a dialogue, you know, because we are being blessed, mm-hmm. and of course we're being uh, loving. We just want to return our peace to you so that you mm-hmm. will be peaceful mm-hmm. and calm. Because we say mm-hmm. spirit, we mm-hmm. show why we say spirit, you know. Mm-hmm. We can say with you, yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just poetic meaning is to bring peace. It's just means we should say peace. Well, actually, it comes of uh, when we say just God, because God is everywhere and just uh, mm. uh, unites everything. What do you think it so becomes I, I, scriptures or something? So this, I can't uh, give a straight answer to this uh, question. I could go away and uh, read and think about it. I susp- it may just be just an ancient formula mm-hmm. that has come down uh, to us through the tradition rather than anybody just particularly sort of inventing that, so it wouldn't be nice to say, and with thy spirit. Anyway. When I'm still here, can I just ask, you know, when you're in Southampton, for instance, you have a small parish. Yes. And probably you don't have a deacon to help you out. Not yet. Yeah, well, the same God. in uh, Brighton. Yes. So, uh, like, I'm one of the readers, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to epistle, it, does it have to be always a male voice at the absence of the... Uh, no, uh, no, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's blessed for anybody uh, who is uh, able to do that, uh, women included. Uh, so, as it happens in Southampton, my uh, reader, who is English, reads, it in, reads the epistle in English, and then one of the ladies from the choir, the choir di- director, or one of the other people, reads it in uh, Slavonic. So... Good news. Yes, so. the, 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 in practice, <laughs> there's a little bit of a disconnect between theory and practice, as often <laughs> happens in the church. Uh, the, to the office or order of reader, uh, of course, only men can be uh, uh, tonsured. Or 
Ordain is not quite the right word, but uh, to set apart Tatonsia as a reader because, uh, as it says very clearly in the service book, it's the first step of the priesthood, yeah, which is. But uh, in in practice, already for quite some time now, it has been blessed and allowed and for uh, uh, women to actually read you know, when there isn't a uh, reader who is able to, to do that. So small, in Anglican church? <laughs> not, not even small parishes here. Can't come, you've never been in church here in the cathedral on a weekday? Yeah. When, well, uh, when Marina or Mach Casera is yeah, reading yeah, the epistle? They do that. Yeah. But uh, when it comes to epistles, you know, the uh, deacon normally tries to read, you know, like his voice goes high and high and high. Ah, the Not question. With the gospel, though, with the epistle. Da, 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 da. Uh, just to show the end. The, the end, you raise the voice so oh. the priest can probably. The, 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 the question is about the, the manner of yeah. reading. Yes. Yes, or mm-hmm. chanting. Uh, this is uh, quite uh, yeah, uh, an, in, uh, an involved question. I will just uh, summarize. Uh, in the uh, liturgy of the Orthodox Church, uh, there is nothing is ever s- simply read in a normal voice, just like I'm talking uh, to you. Uh, and the, the priest, uh, and leaving aside the the secret prayers, which the priest will just say in a low, normal voice. But everything that is intended for, if you like, public consumption yeah, is uh, chanted or sung. Why? Uh, well, for a practical reason, that uh, when, when you chant or sing, your voice just carries much better yeah, uh, because of the projection. Uh, so you'll be more audible. Of course, all this developed before the age of microphones and things like that. Secondly, it adds to the beauty and, if it's done reasonably well, <laughs> solemnity of the liturgy. Uh, it's more uh, solemn. Yeah. However, uh, we always have to bear in mind that the, the word, the words are primary and the manner of delivery, second. And that I did the, uh, the manner of delivery should correspond to what is being read and act, if you like, as a, as, as a vehicle, as a carrier to deliver the sacred words to the uh, worshippers. And here we get, in, <laughs> there can be some, uh, some unhappy uh, distortions where delivery can take precedence over the actual uh, text. So it's a very delicate matter. Anyway, in practice, uh, within this general scheme of chanting and uh, reading, and chanting and singing, there are gradations which correspond to the uh, importance, the, the, uh, the status of what is being read because even within uh, the Holy Scriptures, there are, there are different levels, if you like. Uh, I will, what do I mean by that? So if we just take the um, typical daily reading of the salt during the vigils, Vespers or Matins or something, 
it would go something like I will uh, demonstrate. <clears throat> o Lord God of my salvation, I cry day and night before thee, let my prayer come before thee, incline thine ear to my supplication, O Lord. For my soul is filled with sorrows, and my soul draws nigh to Hades. I am counted among those who go down into the pit. I am like a helpless man, free among the dead. And so so uh, it's chanted, but uh, very simply on a simple monotone with very little uh, inflection. Yes. Uh, uh, the point here is uh, not uh, to allow... It, of course it has to be read and phrased intelligently, but the, the reader must not uh, impose his own, her own in interpretation uh, on, on, on the text. It's just left uh, very uh, plain yeah, to be, uh, not to disturb the prayer or the meditation of the uh, people. Uh, this is simple chanting. Yeah? Now, the epistle, it's a little more uh, f festive. Yeah? So, more like the sign of like Valodia, our new deacon, Valodia. You, do you like his reading? No? Oh, I couldn't possibly comment. So, I will give you an example. Uh, the um, reading from the Epistle of the Holy Apostle Paul to Timothy, let us attend. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Saviour and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Yeah? Something like that. It, 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 this is a, a, a tradition in the, in the Russian church anyway to start fairly low and each sentence to go up by a, a semitone or, or so. Um, but you have to be careful with this that it doesn't uh, get in the way. <laughs> the uh, uh, third uh, level uh, <coughs> is for the uh, for the gospel for the prokimenon. <coughs> Let me give you an example. <coughs> Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Christ is glory to thee, O Lord, glory to thee. Let us attend. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of thy greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Something like this. Yeah, um, so it's part of the <laughs> the art. <laughs> uh, but as it, you we have to be very uh, 
careful with this uh, and uh, remember that it's all to enable the worshippers, the faithful, uh, to hear the word and to internalize it. Okay. <coughs> That's actually... And of course, there, there's a certain flexibility, a certain variation here. It's not absolutely uniform in different people, different places may do it slightly uh, different. After the reading of the Gospel, uh, in principle, what should happen? Probably a sermon. A sermon. Mm -hmm. uh, it's quite clear, even from that uh, extract from St. Justin the Martyr that I read, that uh, this is the ancient uh, practice. Immediately after the reading, the priest uh, comes out and delivers a sermon in which uh, he's supposed to... <laughs> preach on the subject of the gospel, not just to make something up uh, uh, himself. To uh, open up the uh, text of the gospel to help us to understand it. Uh, this question of understanding is very important in the contemporary practice where uh, the gospel is uh, read in uh, the ancient language, whether it is ancient Greek or uh, ancient Russian, uh, which for many people is not that easy to uh, understand. But let me ask further, in the uh, Georgian uh, church, the language of the Gospel of the Bible is the old language, I yes. suppose. Translated in modern language. Yes, so, as I, yes. so that's why uh, in the uh, Russian tradition of preaching, probably in the Georgian tradition, probably in the Greek tradition, the priest usually begins the sermon by repeating, paraphrasing the gospel in the contemporary language, so that everybody at least gets the basic uh, uh, story, and then he will go on to uh, to comment on one part or another and to uh, draw some implications about how it, if, if how we should live according to the gospel and so on. Exactly as St. Justin describes. Uh, it's the practice in many places. Uh, now either, I'm speaking about the Russian church anyway, uh, for the sermon, if it's delivered at all, uh, to take place at the 
end of the liturgy. Uh, I'm not quite sure, well, um, why that happened. Possibly because, until uh, relatively modern times, it was not uh, every priest who was allowed to preach. Yes, I've read that in the uh, synodal period in the Russian church, uh, priests were not allowed to uh, preach. They had a book of sermons. They could read a sermon which had been previously authorized. Yeah. Or a little later on, they, uh, if, they, if they wanted to make their own sermon, they had to write it all out, send it in, get it checked, <laughs> and then... Yes? May have something to do with the, the, the level of education of the clergy not being, always being as high as it could ideally be. Uh, may have something to do with the authorities being a little nervous about <laughs> what the clergy might uh, preach, you know, if it has some implications for the uh, civil uh, order of things. Complex, complex question. Uh, and then probably uh, in the cases where it was uh, allowed, it became natural to sort of put it at the, the end of the service. Some people even think that that's, uh, the sermon kind of interrupts the flow of the liturgy, if you put it in its proper place. Uh, you can see the point, but uh, uh, I think on the whole it's, it's better uh, to do it uh, in the right... Our practice is mixed. You know, on Sundays, on Big Feast, it's in the proper place, straight after the Gospel. Um, on weekdays, uh, depending on whether or not the priest feels he has anything to say, it's more likely to be uh, at the end. But it is, uh, uh, it's really an integral part of the liturgy. Uh, the, yeah, because we don't know what Gospel the, when, like normally it's skipped, and then people just go out before the Communion, you know, if they... Come, don't come for communion. It means that they don't even know what the gospel was about because it seems. Like another reason, yes, another uh, reason for having it at the end is that uh, in many cases there will be twice as many people in the church at the end of the service than there are in the middle. Uh, you could see it even in this uh, video at the beginning of the liturgy, sort of three people in church, <laughs> and then. Uh, during the end, there are some more people coming in, they're lighting the candles, they're saying hello to each other. <laughs> well, does it have to be a certain length? They... Um, does it have to be a specified... Uh, uh, I think uh, my own view uh, in, in, is that 10 to 12 minutes is about the maximum. Uh, you know, a, a psychologists do studies about how long people can concentrate on you know, something, and that it's about yes. that, you know. Uh, like so. in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> that so practice of the well, but maybe it's because our our tolerance uh, has declined. You know? um, read the sermons of Saint John Chrysostom. You know, uh, on one passage. They probably lasted an hour, yes, at least. The light, tiny people, when literally people, when they come to church, they have already done something during the day, and their tolerance. So you're you're saying the people because of the conditions of modern life, people just can't 
take any uh, any long long sermon. What well, that that may be, and in fact, it, it seems that in the in the fourth century, the uh, the sermon uh, was a kind of form of public entertainment. People came to the the church in Constantinople specifically to hear Chrysostom preach because he was just a master oratory. It was an art form. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have Vladika Anatoly questions. We could listen for much longer than 15 minutes, didn't we? Ah, yes, dear Vladika. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. It, so it, it depends uh, on, on, on the gift of the preacher and the tolerance or capacity of the hearers. But unfortunately, we live today in an era of sound bites, you know, when people are just not going to focus on any, in general, for anything longer than uh, five to ten minutes. So if Russians stepping from foot to foot, it's a common, but when they take their watches and such... <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, there aren't many anecdotes uh, of that sort. But uh, the sermon is an interesting thing because it's not... Uh, it's not just a talk. It's not just a technical explanation. Yeah? I mean, what I'm doing with you here now is not a sermon. It's, it's a talk. The sermon itself, uh, it seems to me, is a kind of almost a charismatic thing. Uh, that it, it's an integral. It should be an integral part of the holy liturgy. Uh, in which somehow or other the Holy Spirit is able to work through the uh, words of the sermon and the hearts of the people to make to bring uh, alive to make a, a living uh, connection with the gospel, the Holy Spirit. It comes from the gospel because also even Jesus Christ said that you know things come you know in parables. Mm. And sometimes it's difficult for us to understand. So even if you hear in the modern language they, mm. uh, pro about the prodigal son, you don't really even think that uh, you know what it means. You know what it means. Okay, it's a nice story about one son and another son. But when you uh, explain, like mm. many times priests actually tell us about, think about we are like you know elder son when mm. we think okay we come to the church and why people who don't go get everything and we don't get. But we can so. we can see this. As you say, in the text of the Gospel itself, where the Lord will uh, say the parable in the hearing of everybody, and then it says, and then the disciples took him aside privately and said, explain to us the meaning of the, the parable. Because uh, they, uh, the people as a whole were not like, ready somehow to go deeply in, in, into the meaning of it. But nevertheless, because it was such a, you know, a memorable story, easy to remember, people could take it away with them, you know, and perhaps you know, even years later might uh, reflect on it and come to some understanding. But the Lord interprets it uh, for, the, uh, for the apostles, for the disciples, and they, in turn, of course, uh, later on uh, explained uh, it to uh, the people uh, as a whole. So there is, and this is why, generally speaking, it's not a good idea 
to compose the sermon and write it all down and just read it. It may be a very good sermon. It may be a very uh, detailed uh, explanation of the text. But something is usually, something is missing, you know. There's this. Uh, let me just. Uh, it is a mystery. Yes, as uh, as you say, uh, there is an anecdote, and we must finish uh, soon. But there is an anecdote from just by way of illustration of these different approaches. Uh, not far from here at St. Paul's uh, in the 18th century, there was a very uh, famous dean of St. Paul's, uh, Dean Swift, Jonathan Swift, known as the author of Gulliver's Travels, among other things. But he was a clergyman. Uh, and it says that one day he took, uh, talked to one of the assistant uh, clergymen there, and he said, um, Sir, please uh, explain to me how you uh, produce your sermons. He said, Well, uh, Your Reverence, uh, I do it like this. Uh, uh, the first part, I sit down a few days bef- before and I think it all through and I, and I write it all down. The second part, I leave to the Holy Spirit. Sir, allow me to remark that I prefer your work to that of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, uh, it just doesn't seem to work when we uh, write it all down and even not even writing, but have it all fixed in our heads. My own experience for, and it, it, it's a bit, it's a scary thing because uh, you you go up there and you have two or three thoughts. Kind of, uh, what usually happens is that some thought comes into your head, and there may be one or two other things. But you go out there, and really you have no idea how it's going to all work out. It, it, it somehow is created you know, uh, spon- spontaneously. Uh, and my own experience is that the more, the more I think it through beforehand, the, wor- <laughs> the worse it is. Because it's too much my thoughts. <laughs> This is this this is the the key thing. Yes, because uh, if it only goes through your brain, you know, it's not going to really touch people. However brilliant intellectually it might uh, be, uh, I think it was was it Metropolitan Antonius. Anyway, he said, you know, it it has to go through your own heart. Uh, in order to reach the hearts of the, the people. And that's a mysterious mm. process. We have to speak relevant at the point in time. Sermons, sometimes when people record it, yes. and replay it. Well, it's not because sermons are relevant at the point in time. This is an interesting point, that, that, that if you uh, record it and uh, play it back again, or even uh, write it down, type it and so on, something is missing. Now, there are great preachers you know, whose sermons will survive that. John Chrysostom, you know? mm-hmm. Metropolitan Antony, Vladikana Anatoly. But your, your 
ordinary sort of everyday sermon you know, uh, somehow seems to function in the moment and uh, somehow re réchauffé, re <laughs> it's not the same. Uh, if you don't mind, I think it's about ten minutes left. Somehow I've got to the wrong. Excuse me. I don't think. I'm not sure whether we get that far. Uh, here. So here is the deacon. He's just finished reading the the gospel. <coughs> so, So, after the after the gospel and the sermon, if there is one at that point, we have a uh, more litanies. Uh, the first one is called the augmented litany uh, because the choir, um, the choir replied not Lord have mercy once, but Lord have mercy three times. Yeah? It's uh, by now, we are sort of warmed up spiritually, yeah? and we are ready, really, to pray. Uh, and while that is happening, the priest is uh, unfolding on the holy table the cloth which is called the antimines, yeah? uh, it's a piece of silk or other a cloth on which the image of the burial of Christ is represented and into which is sewn a, uh, a tiny uh, portion of holy relics. Yeah? Why? This is because of the practice of the early church of celebrating the liturgy on the tombs of the martyrs. Uh, and in memory of that, when churches were built, relics of the saints were always placed in the altar table. But you don't always have the possibility to celebrate the liturgy in a properly consecrated church. Yeah? So the priest has given this cloth a, a, like a portable altar. The word antimins or antimension literally means instead of the altar table. Uh, usually, uh, some, sometimes, not always. Uh, and the important thing is that the uh, antimins has the signature of the local bishop. Yeah? And without this, the priest uh, absolutely is not allowed to celebrate the liturgy because the priest acts only in virtue of the authority which is delegated to him by the bishop. Uh, the, after the augmented litany, there follows a number of other litanies. Uh, a litany for... Oh, we seem to have come to the end there. Uh, by any means, uh, the priest forgets the end, it means he cannot celebrate. No. If let's say he goes to the parish... And this, this is why... It's never happened, uh, never happened to me, but uh, I'm paranoid. I would check that I have it two or three times before I actually set off to, to, go, uh, to go to the, to the parish. 
Yeah. Yes, they, they, are, they, are, they are in a little bag which is sewn into the, uh, into the cloth. Uh, maybe next time I will bring the bring antimins to, to show you how it uh, looks like. It was only one for one uh, church or uh, for, for an altar, or was it just uh, related to altars of priests? The antimins, uh, in principle, is uh, for the uh, church or the church community where the liturgy is to be celebrated. So, for example, I have two parishes, mm -hmm. one in Romford and one in Southampton, and I have two separate antimins. One is labelled uh, by the bishop for serving in the parish of St. Andrew in Romford, and the other is for the parish of St. Silouan in Southampton. Is it labelled or is it like... It's no, it's written. Yeah, it's written on the on the cloth itself. You can potentially use because I know once we forgot antimins and we asked the local priest. You know, we went once to the parish and I remember you know everybody like were very scared because we forgot and then we called the local priest. Was that me? I I don't we remember. Went, no, not with you. With, with another I think so another priest. And we forgot the antimins, yes. so we called the local priest. Yes, well, uh, in exceptional circumstances, but without it, uh, with, yes, <laughs> at, a, at a pinch. Uh, but it's very important because it, it connects us uh, to two things, to the, uh, the ancient custom of celebrating the liturgy on the tombs of the martyrs and the uh, continuing uh, dependence of the priest uh, on his Bishop. The priest functions as the uh, delegate because the bishop can't be in all the churches at the, the same time. He delegates his uh, authority to the priest to celebrate the holy liturgy. One cannot serve more than liturgy. That's correct, yes. Uh, on one day, uh, you can, well, there are two, two rules. Uh, you cannot. The liturgy cannot be celebrated twice on the same antimins, and the priest cannot celebrate, one priest cannot celebrate the liturgy more than once in the day. The liturgy should be finished before, between 12. Is it should be, people should take No, no, it's not No, 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 no. But the, 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 what's the thinking here? Uh, in principle, there is uh, one one liturgy in one place for one community in one day. The, uh, because, because it is what uh, unites the, the church. Uh, we do not uh, say, well, uh, we'll have a liturgy for children at uh, nine o'clock and then a liturgy f uh, for grown-ups at 10 o'clock and a liturgy for elderly people at half past two and the afternoon there is the the church is one now uh, and likewise the it's uh, un, unthinkable and this is uh, a, a difference between east and western practice in orthodoxy it's uh, unthinkable for the priest to celebrate twice in one day to receive communion twice in one day yeah. uh, one priest will just help another yes. priest, you know, the yes. second liturgy. Yes, yes, yes. He can participate, but he won't go for communion. Yeah, and yeah. you have to use two different Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. um, things develop differently in the 
uh, Western uh, church uh, where it became uh, normal for a priest to celebrate two or three uh, masses in one day. Of course, it helps that they're not nearly as long as the Orthodox liturgy, but even so, uh, strange to us. Uh, Likewise, the multiplication of services so that in one church there could be two or three liturgies is something anomalous. It may be practically necessary in certain circumstances. Like, as Marina said, when we were reconstructing the main church and we had to squeeze into the little church, we had to have at least two liturgies. But uh, it's not the norm, it should not be the norm. <laughs> because then, okay. Uh, we have the early crowd and the, the late crowd. But in principle, uh, this is the, the, the guiding principle, that the one uh, liturgy for all the people in one place at one time. And on this we will, because we're over, uh, over time, we will draw to an end. Next time, in two weeks, we will... Sorry? Sorry? Like it's too much to write always. We have to I would like to learn night now. <laughs> about? <laughs> about the second entrance and yes. the, whether it is it is the funeral of our Lord and whether we kneel. Ah yes, yes, yes. Okay. No. <laughs> Sorry. You <laughs> <laughs> have to you know, live in suspense for two weeks. Okay. Well all I can say is that uh, it's all <laughs> being recorded. I can send it to you by uh, email <laughs> or oh, whatever, but you have to ask me. Okay, let's uh, pray and uh, go home.